Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. I'm not sure how many of you have ever heard of this, but there is a study called Nominative Determinism, and it is the idea that what you're named can have an impact on what you become uh, and how you relate to the world around you. For example, some famous examples, Prince Fielder became a baseball player. Usain Bolt became the fastest man alive. Anybody want to guess what profession Dr. McCracken went into? (laughs) Chiropractor, okay? Um, uh, There was a brilliant uh, lawyer who happened to be of Chinese descent. Her name is Sue Yu. Tim and Greg got into a lot of trouble uh, transporting some illegal substances. I don't know if it had anything to do with their name, but that happens to be Tim and Greg Weed. Um, My personal favorite, if you want to get a little bit of my sense of humor, uh, is a guy named Joshua Butt, and uh, Dr. Butt became a gastroenterologist. (laughs) And then Ashley Seawright became an eye doctor, and I just think... Those are really cool. The reason I share that with you is because we're in a series talking about the names that are given to God in Isaiah chapter 9, and they are names that help us understand how he relates to the world, what kind of savior he was going to be to us, how he was going to help us navigate through our problems, and these are names that certainly have an impact in forever, in eternity, but they're also names that have an impact today. And so that's good news for us. I want to give us a little bit of background. First, let's look at our verse uh, that we've kind of keyed into during this series. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. If I could take you in a time machine and go back to 8th century B.C., um, there's a guy named Isaiah, who is the guy we just read from, and he is in a city called Jerusalem. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you uh, might be familiar with the fact that at one point... There was this big kingdom, and it was a kingdom guys like King David and King Solomon reigned over, and it was the people of God, it was the nation of Israel, but at this time, these two, uh, this nation has kind of gone through a civil war, and they've split into two parts. You have the northern kingdoms called Israel, and the southern kingdoms called Judah, and both Israel and Judah have gone through a mixed bag of kingship as they have gone through their history. Some good kings, some bad kings, mostly bad kings. At this time in history, there's a guy named King Ahaz. Look at somebody next to you and say, Ahaz. That's a cool word to say, except he's a real bad dude. Uh, He is the king of Judah, the southern uh, kind of area there um, uh, uh, that that we just talked about. So he's a really bad dude. He's always doing these backdoor meetings, trying to like uh, kind of merge with other forces and pagan nations so that they can take over different kingdoms and take more ground. That's who he is. Uh, Israel has a different king. His name is King Pika. Now, do me a favor and look at somebody and say, Pika. You got to say it like I said it or it don't work. Pika. Now, I will tell you in the first service, I said Pika, and the person on the front row said, de gallo. <laughs> Pico de Gallo. So um, that, is, that is a little bit different. Made, made me laugh just thinking about it. Uh, and so this guy, he decides that he's going to meet with a nation called Syria, and they want to take over Jerusalem where Ahaz reigns. They want to make Ahaz regret the day that he was ever born. The problem is Ahaz knows about the plan. So you have this moment where Isaiah, he comes to Ahaz and he says, man, everything is cool. There's some people going to try to attack. You know about that. 
Trust God. God's going to give you a sign. Now, let me just tell you, typically in Scripture, we're not asked to look for signs. It's an occasional thing. It's not a normal thing. Like if you're one of those people that are going like, man, should I buy a red car or a blue car? And then you see a lady with blue mascara. That's not God answering your question, okay? Um, Like that's not the way God normally is going to speak. It's very rare. Generally, we're not supposed to look for those things. But in this case, God specifically tells Ahaz that I'm going to give you a sign. And the sign is going to be there's this baby that's going to be born, and it's going to change everything. And so he says, Ahaz says, I don't want the sign. Because if God gives me a sign, I'm going to feel obligated to do what God said. And so, no thanks. Ahaz instead starts to talk to the king of a a country called Assyria. If you were with us during the Jonah series, these are the worst people on the planet. They have a king also. His name is Tiglath Pilzer. I didn't know how to say that for a long time, so I called him Tiglath Pleaser. I don't know why, but I just remember certain names. So do me a favor, look at somebody next to you and say Tiglath. Yep, that's him. Uh, he is also a really, 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 really bad guy. And Isaiah goes to Tiglath for help because he doesn't want to believe what the Lord says. And you might go, Jason, how do we know this? Like, where are you getting this from? Well, it's easy, it's in the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 7, we see this exact thing I just described to you play out. It said, Ahaz sent messengers to King Tiglath of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your what, church? March up and save me from the grasp of the king of Aram, which is the king of Syria, and the king of Israel, which we just talked about those two guys coming into alignment, who are rising up against me. So he literally goes to the king of Syria and says, you are my daddy. I am your son. I need you to protect me, care for me, and do all the dad things. And the king of Assyria, who's a bad guy, is more than happy to take advantage of this. He is glad to go in and be invited in. He'll ultimately take over all of these nations if they let him. And so he's thrilled. And so I want you to imagine being one of the people in this kingdom Your king has declared to you that the most evil king on the planet is going to be dad. And hope drains out of you. And then Isaiah shows up with a declaration from God. And there's no wonder he uses these words that there will be a child king and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called everlasting father. And for those people who Isaiah 9 says, people who have been walking in darkness have seen a great light, hope comes rushing back. The phrase everlasting father most literally translates as father of eternity. It's this idea that Jesus did not just show up in Bethlehem. He's been around from the beginning. Bethlehem is simply where he put flesh on. It's where skin and bones came on to him in Bethlehem. If you want some evidence of this in Scripture, John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the what, church? Beginning. And all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing that was created has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. He tells us that he has been there from the beginning. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the heart of God on display for the people to see. But he's also there at the end. 
Revelation chapter 1, which I did a whole series on last Christmas. If you think about it, Revelation is written, written by a guy named... John, there we go. And John is one of the guys that walked around with Jesus when he was on the earth. When Jesus was wrapped in flesh, and he was this humble servant king who died and rose again, and John knew him that way. But then John also gets a glimpse in Revelation where God peels back the earth, the natural earth, and shows him eternity, and he sees a totally different picture of his friend Jesus. He is a warrior and a king that reigns over all for all eternity. It says in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. He said, there is nothing outside of my divine sovereign control. Jesus is there at the beginning. He is there at the end, and he reveals the Father to the world. Now, if you're Judah, and you're hearing this kind of thing, you are excited because you are being reminded someone is coming, and he will be the everlasting Father, the Father of eternity. But that's not just good news for them. That's good news for you today. That's good news for me today. Because there's people that came in here with all sorts of stuff. You don't have to raise your hand, but there's some folks in here with some baggage today. There's some people in here who are believers. There are some people in here that got drugged in here by some other believers. And we want you to know we're glad you are here. Because we believe God has so much to give you today. And freedom that he wants for you. And maybe a different picture of God than you could have ever imagined. And it will not just change your eternity. It drives me nuts when we think like that. We think, man, I'm going to come to Jesus and then one day we'll die and I'll get to receive all of the joy of having a relationship with God. Well, that's a great part of it. But is anybody in here excited that when you become a believer, God actually has something for you now? That is great hope and freedom and forgiveness and a plan and a purpose and a mission. It's not easy, but it is amazing to be a part of, and we get to do it today. We have an everlasting Father. Now, I'm aware that there may be no other relationship on the earth for many people that needs to be redeemed than the idea of a father. I don't know how you grew up. Some of you grew up with great dads. I personally grew up with a great dad. My dad was a perfect but I got to watch my dad do some amazing things. Like I will never forget playing. I'm a big football fan. Um, always have been. God, uh, somebody say God. Sorry, my dad raised me to be a Cowboys fan. Um, and uh, and I, and and some most years I regret that. But um, this year's looking pretty good so far. We got to win something in the postseason. I'm just saying. All right. So anyway, I was raised to be a football fan, and I remember playing football. And I remember one of my first games in middle school, I got a chance to be a part of like a trick play. I won't go into the details of how it happened, but it was legit. Um, nonetheless, as this play plays out, I end up with the ball and I'm on the sidelines. Now I know when you look at me today, you probably don't pick up on this, but back then, super fast. I mean, lightning quick. There's a reason they put the ball in my hand because I was gone, man. So I go through this play. This tree play uh, plays out. Uh, there, are, there are tens of people there to watch us. It, like it's, it's amazing. And I get the ball in here. I got three points of contact because I know what I'm about. And I get there, and I'm taking off. And it's like everything. You ever, been, you ever been in a moment that everything went in slow motion for you? 
And that was me. It was like that scene on like the Friday Night Lights, the movie, where I'm going down the field and I got the ball and I just hear like an old song by Creed. You know, there goes my hero. Watch him, man. I'm just rolling, man. I'm the, and I'm so excited. And no one can keep up with me. The, their defense has given up. They can't keep up with me. I think I'm the fastest person on the planet. Till I look on the sideline. And my dad, in the time that I've gotten this ball and ran down the field, apparently achieved some sort of superhuman status and came out of the stands and was running down the sideline and beat me there. <laughs> and it was amazing. But I have a dad that was so excited. I remember a little bit um, into my childhood, um, I get to watch my dad's generosity. He's got a very generous spirit, gener generous heart. And I remember walk, watch, walking into a, a, a video rental store. Um, for those of you that are younger, <laughs> what you do here, we used to do in what's called the real world. <laughs> and if you wanted a movie, you had to go to a place called a video store and you had to see if they had a physical tape. And if they did not, you had two options. One, don't watch that movie or wait by the return bin to see if somebody else dropped off that movie. Anybody else? Thank you. Okay. So we would wait by that. You hope for that movie. So my dad and I went in. It was this local kind of mom and pop shop. It had been open less than a year. And as we walk in there, the gentleman that was running it, um, we could see when we walked in, he had tears in his eyes and he wiped them away and then greeted us into the store. I, as a young kid, I was probably nine or 10. I didn't think much of it. My dad immediately responded. We didn't have a whole lot of money. We were pretty broke at that time in my life. My dad and moms had a business that went under and it was, it was a rough time for us. And I watched my dad walk up to this man and take um, whatever cash he had in his, his pockets and hand it to him. He ended up going to our church and asking some other people for help, and we brought it back again. Now, I would love to tell you that in that moment, the first time it happened, that I was sitting there as a young man going, man, look at that generosity. What a gift of God. But I wasn't. I was going, uh, that was for the movie. Dad? What's going on? But as I got older, I started to realize how big of an impact that that made in my life. I'm a great dad. Maybe you do too. The truth is, there's probably plenty of you in here that you didn't. And so when I tell these stories, you go, I'm glad you have great memories, Jason. I don't have great memories. I have great pain. When I think about my dad, it hurts. I experienced being abandoned because he was either too busy or he left or he had passed away when I was young, but he wasn't there. Or I had a dad that was disappointed in me always. Or there was simply no connection emotionally. We didn't have any sort of connection. Or maybe he was abusive physically, sexually, or emotionally. And so when somebody says, God wants to be your everlasting father, you go, no thank you. There's an author, his name is John Edwards, and he has this quote, it'll be on the screen. He said, I was 25 before I could say the word father while praying. Because of the kind of relationship that I had with my dad, how could I come to God without fear when I had been scared to go home whenever dad was there? How could I understand God's love and faithfulness when dad left town because he loved something or someone more than me? How can God be a mighty fortress of protection when dad hit instead of hugged? And for some people, that's the reality. See, how we see our earthly father has a huge impact with how we will see our everlasting father. 
Christian psychologist Vern Bingston said this, the quality of a child's relationship with their father is the single most important factor in whether or not that child adopts the faith of their parents. Any dads in here feel the weight of that? Moms, I know you do too. Eric Matikas had done some research and he said this, almost every famous atheist, and he lists more than I'll list, but Freud, Nietzsche, Bertrand Russell, Madeleine Murray O'Hare, every single one of them, they had a commonality that they were atheists. They also had the commonality that every one of them had an absent or traumatic relationship with their dad. We have imperfect earthly fathers. And so I want to separate out our earthly fathers from our everlasting father for a minute. Let's talk about some of our earthly dads. Maybe you grew up and you had the never satisfied dad. I was reading an article, I was getting ready for this, it was a young lady and she said that she was so hopeful that she would finally have a moment when her dad would say, I love you and I'm proud of you. And she grew up in her whole life and that never happened and she went to college and nobody else in her family had graduated from college and at her college graduation, she thought this is finally going to be the moment. I'm going to get done, Service, the ceremony is going to be over and I'm going to walk down that walkway and I'm going to see my family walking towards me and my dad's going to reach out his hands and he's going to wrap me up and he's going to finally whisper those words into my ear that I've longed to hear, I love you and I'm proud of you. She said reality was much different. The scene was set, she was walking down that walkway and her family walked up to her and the first things out of her dad's mouth was, it's getting late, we got to head home. And that was it. And she was crushed. She performed. She had done everything she thought for a dad that was never satisfied, and yet there was no satisfaction. There was no love. The words that she craved weren't there. And for some of you, you know exactly how that feels. And so now, that's the way that you view your everlasting father. Have I done enough to make him happy? I know God would love me a lot more. He'd be happier with me if I was a better spouse, if I was a better parent, if I, was, if I was a better worker, if I was a better evangelist, if I was a better disciple maker, if I was a better servant, if I was a better this, if I was a better that. Can I just give you some freedom for this morning? Your eternal everlasting father is way different than that. See, here's what I want you to know. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, Isaiah is going to speak to us again. And he's going to relate this actually to motherhood because I think there's a powerful illustration. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child? Or lack compassion for the child of her womb? Even if the, like he said, how moms never forget anything about their kids. He goes, and even if they forgot, yet I will not forget you. Here's what he's getting to. There's a fundamental principle of the universe. Moms see everything. That's what he's saying. Moms notice, have you ever been a child? Or have you got, like where you were like, your mom said, stop it. And you're like, you're in the other room, you wizard. What is happening right now? Like, how do they see this? Like, Crystal was attentive to everything. Like, she could come up to me and be like, Jason, did you notice there's a new freckle on the back of, behind Addison's right ear? And I'd be like, oh, she's the third one, right? <sighs> like, they're just more attentive. But here's what we know. God knows God knows better than moms know. God knows every single, like God knows when every hair has fallen out of your head. For some of you, that's been a more difficult process <laughs> because he's had to keep count of a lot more, brother. I mean, I'm just saying. But God knows. I love this, Psalm 139. I'm gonna read verse 13 and then 15 and 16. It says, for it was... Uh, you who created my inward parts, this is the psalmist talking about God. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. You know what he's saying is, man, I formed you, I shaped you in your mother. When you were just a little tiny baby, no bigger than a peanut, you were that little fetus inside of your mom, I created you. I formed you. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. I love these, this phrase. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Think about that. Now, I want you to go back. Same chapter, a little bit earlier, verse 7 and 8. Listen to this. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Anybody know what Sheol is? Hell. We, born as sinners, broken by sin, made our bed in hell, and our great God and everlasting Father came after us. He rescues us. He intercepted the judgment that we deserve. See, when we look at our everlasting Father through the lens of our earthly Father, we will see a Father that is never satisfied. But that is not who our everlasting Father is. Our everlasting Father thinks of you in a way that is so powerful and so beautiful. If you're in this room and you've ever been said, like, I, I wish that I was special to someone, you are. You are. You wish you mattered. You do. When you were in the womb, he made plans for the days of your life. You wish you were valuable to someone. He went to hell and back for you. That love is deep. Can I give you something real practical, moms and dads, if you want to live this out and do something powerful in your kid's life? If you want to be a good Christ-like parent, be crazy about your kids and let them know it. Be crazy about your kids and let them know it. Let them see it. Love on them. Even when they get older and they're like, stop, keep going. Because it'll stick. It'll, 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 they'll remember, I promise you. It's amazing. Don't give up on it. And let me tell you something else. You want to show them something of most significance? Show them your faith. Don't let coming into a church service be the only time they ever see you look at the Bible. Don't let it be the only time they ever see you worship. And don't let in these walls be the only times they ever see you serve or think about serving the Lord. Let it be something that happens in your home. When you wake up on Christmas morning, dive into the Word of God with your family before you dive into the presence under the Christmas tree. Let them see you put some worship music on and connect to God in your home. When you're going to serve somewhere, take them with you. If you're going on a big gift project, take them with you. If you're taking cookies to your neighbor, take them with you because they need to see it and not just hear you say it. If the only thing they know of your faith are the things you say and they never see it, you will raise cynics, not Christians. We want to raise Christians. Let them see it and that will be an amazing gift to your kids. Let's look at the second type of dad. That's the time bomb dad. December 7th, 1941, there was an attack on Pearl Harbor. We all know that. What you may not know is there was a radar system that was put in the Pacific Ocean after that. It would detect any movement on the Pacific Ocean within 500 miles of Pearl Harbor because they wanted to make sure that the next time somebody approached, it wasn't going to blow up. The reason I say that is because if you grew up with a dad, mom, that was a ticking time bomb, that's how you felt. You felt like you were on constant detection mode to see when they were going to explode again. And it's terrifying. And it's really hard to love a dad that you're scared of. It's really hard to love a person that you're scared of. Give me tell you what kind of people those kids grow up to be. 
If you imagine a life where everything has to be done a certain way and you have to do everything just so or somebody might explode, you grow up often to become a control freak because you have been trained that if everything is not just so at all times, love will not be there, only anger. And you're terrified of it. It's something you have to be incredibly aware of, and it affects the view that you have of your everlasting father, where you think about God. What if he's in a bad mood? Like, what if I do something wrong, and he comes, and comes after me? He's going to get me. Can I just tell you, that is not what he is like. Psalm 103, verse 8 says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. Can I tell you what slow to anger, the literal translation there is long of nostrils. And you might go, what in the world does that mean? It means this. If you ever watched a raging bull, it is short of nostrils. It is. It's that I'm taking short, quick breaths, and I'm angry. Long of nostrils is calm, breathing in deep and slowly. And he's saying, your God is not up in heaven like a raging bull ready to just assault you. He is patient. He's ready to forgive when we repent. Does he discipline us? Absolutely he does. The Bible says that he disciplines those he loves. But unlike our earthly parents, his discipline is perfect. And you might go, how, Jason, how can a good God who judges sin, how can, and he pours out his wrath on sin, how can he be kind to me because I sin? Well, it's simple. He poured his wrath and judgment for sin out on Jesus on your behalf so that he can offer you the kindness and the forgiveness that we long for. Let me give you just a practical reality that if you have a time bomb dad in your life, um, if you understand a God who is slow to anger, it will change how you think and look at life. If you recognize that your God up in heaven is not waiting to pounce on you and attack you, it will change how you look at life. It will change how you interact with your kids. It will change the kind of person that you are. It will change how you work. It will change how and why you serve. It will change how and why you give. You won't give out of begrudging submission to a father who is going to be mad at you. You will give and you will serve and you will go and you will do out of an abundance of love that comes from your everlasting father. When you understand this, and understand that, listen, your earthly dad is like training wheels for your heavenly father. And can we just acknowledge, some of you got some bad wheels to start with. But if you know your everlasting father now, you no longer have to hold the grudge against your earthly one. See, don't view your heavenly father through the lens of your earthly one. Instead, you can evaluate your earthly father through the lens of your heavenly one. In other words, my heavenly father is gracious to me, abounding in love, giving me forgiveness and grace and the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance that I did not deserve, but he gave it out of his love. And if I can understand that when I'm attached to my eternal, everlasting father, then that opens up the opportunity for me to offer those things to my earthly father and to forgive. And maybe that's what changes everything for him, for mom, for someone else in your life. A third kind of dad that I think a lot of people struggle with is a dad that I'll call the distant dad. 
Uh, some of y'all are about my age. You might have grown up with this. I'm not a big video gamer, but there was a video game that came out years ago, and to me, that was the height of technology and sports games, and that's never been ever remotely come close to. Tecmo Bowl. There's a few people in here that know what I'm talking about. Tecmo Bowl was an amazing football game, and if you played Tecmo Bowl, there was one person, one athlete, that if you got him, you won everything. Does anybody know who it was? Bo Jackson. <laughs> Did you notice the old male dynamic in that answer? Yeah. Bo Jackson. <laughs> yeah, it was Bo Jackson. If you got Bo Jackson, you could do anything. Bo Jackson was this amazing athlete. He played football. He played baseball. Just unbelievable. I want, can I read you a quote from Bo Jackson? Here's what he said. My father has never seen me play football or baseball. Here I am, Bo Jackson, one of the so-called premier athletes in the country, and I sit in the locker room and envy every one of my teammates whose dad would come in and talk, and I never experienced it. Another athlete maybe you're familiar with, Ricky Bobby. <sighs> admittedly fictional, but even Hollywood got this right. His dad never came to watch him race, and it impacted his life. See, in some cases, you can have a distant dad, and he's stable, and he's consistent, but he never ex expressed his feelings to you, and so he feels distant emotionally. If you were a dad raising kids in 1945 through 1980, those dads were actually taught to withhold emotion from their kids. It teaches them to be strong. The truth is, that's still going on today, and the kids that that's done with, those kids struggle with healthy relationships. They struggle to open up to their spouse. They struggle to open up to their kids. They struggle to open up to close friends. They're loners. And can I just tell you, your everlasting father is not distant that way. I love the story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. If you don't know the story, I'll give you the bullet points. You have a dad who has loved his sons well, and his youngest son comes to him and says, I don't want nothing to do with you. Matter of fact, I kind of wish you were dead. Because if you were dead, I'd get my inheritance, and I could do whatever I want. And his dad goes, if you want your inheritance, you can have it right now. And he gives it to his son who runs off in a rebellion from his father. He blows everything. He makes every horrible decision. And you would think that the dad back at home would be like, I knew it. I knew it. He's just a constant mistake waiting to happen. But that's not the picture the Bible gives us. We get a different picture of the father. It's a father who is every day walking back and forth on those wood plank steps of his porch. He's a busy guy. He's got a business to run, but he can't bring himself to go and deal with that. He's just there waiting, watching. Until one day, it happens. Off in the horizon of that field, he sees a silhouette emerge. He doesn't know at first, is that, is that one of the hired men? Is that a visitor? Is that a guest? But the closer he gets, but still a long way away. There's just this thing a dad, a parent knows. It's the way he walks and moves his arms. It's his shape and his silhouette, and he knows immediately, that's my son. And he's in those days wearing long robes and tunics and he probably has to gather them up. It doesn't look particularly attractive. Old men's legs never are. And he jumps off that porch and he runs into a field. And he grabs his son and he embraces him. 
That is a picture of our everlasting Father. He is not a distant Father. He is the one that comes and runs and rescues us. I love how John Piper, pastor, talks about this. He said, almost every parable that Jesus ever uh, preaches ends with what to do, except the prodigal son. The prodigal son doesn't give an action item. You just stop and be with the dad. Worship the father. First John chapter 3, verse 1 says this, See what great love the father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. Anybody in here grateful to be called God's children? Something practical. Yeah, come on, that is good news. Something real practical. If you've been a distant parent, a distant father, a distant person, three things your kids need to hear every day. I love you, I'm proud of you, and you're really good at whatever it is. And you might go, ah, man, I would love to do that. My kids are grown. They still need to hear it. Tell them. Emotionally distant dads honestly very often have no idea the damage that they're causing. Most Christian men feel really good if they're providing food and shelter for their families. And guys, that's not nothing. You are. But also skunks do that. Can we raise the bar? Because God does. He raises the bar. Let me talk about a fourth kind of dad, and that's the missing dad. I'm going to give you some information, and this is jarring if you let it get into your head. 40% of children in America live in fatherless homes. 40% of children in America feel personal rejection, that they're unimportant, that they're not good enough. If there was a soundtrack of music to their life, it is a soundtrack of sadness. They fear being alone, and they're suspicious at every moment that everything's going to end. 71% of high school dropouts, 75% of teen substance abusers, 98% of discipline issues have this common factor, and that is that they come from fatherless homes. Fatherless boys didn't learn what real masculinity was supposed to look like, so they went to other ways. They chose rebellion, maybe athletics, maybe they became aggressive sexually or became violent. Because one of the greatest things that any little boy can do is wrestle with his dad. Do you know what I mean? Like when Zach was little, when he's three, four, Zach loved to get in the floor and wrestle. And can I tell you something? I could take him so easily. I mean, I, I grew up watching real wrestling, like the Von Erichs, okay? Like I know what the Iron Claw is. I could have done that to him at any moment. Just take him, just... Could have obliterated him. And you go, how does that teach him anything? That doesn't. You know what teaches him something? Is that he feels the strength of his dad, but he also feels the restraint. That he feels the protection. That somehow when he's on the ground and I'm on top of him, that he's somehow recognizing that dad is still bearing the most of the weight of his body so that it does not crush him. That he could do so much more, but he withholds his power because he loves him that he experiences the strength of dad and to understand what real protection looks like. Many fatherless girls struggle to develop self-respect and confidence, crave attention and are willing to do anything to get it. As a matter of fact, 90% of female pornographic models were sexually abused, many of them by their fathers. Every earthly dad at some point 
is going to go missing. Every earthly dad at some point is going to be gone because they age. Are there any, any guys in here that go, man, I feel like I'm getting older? Oh, let me ask this differently. Are there any wives in here that you go, my husband needs to recognize that he's getting older? <laughs> There's a great comedian. His name is Nate Bargatze. And Nate talks about the challenge in a guy's life of recognizing aging. And I want to show you a couple of clips from him real quick. Go ahead. Young. Your 20s are great. Crank that up. You're down for whatever. Your friends call you. They're like, do you want to go? You're like, I'll go. You don't even know where you're going. You're like, I'll move, dude. I'm, I'll set my apartment on fire. What do you want to do? Your 30s come, and you're like, where are we going? How late are they open? Is it loud? I am going to drive separate. Your 40s, you're I'm not going. <laughs> I'm mad that you thought I would go. <laughs> you still think you're young. I, I have this jacket on, and... <laughs> I'll hang out with a 23-year-old, and I'm like, you get it, dude? We're just a couple young dudes kicking it. <laughs> Some guy will walk up, he's like, I'm 45. I'm like, why don't you beat it, old man? <laughs> I can't believe that guy had the nerve to think he was our age, right, dude? That's crazy. Let's go sit down for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we all get older, and so there is a reality that even good dads at some point are going to be gone. And whether you lost your dad because he chose to walk out or because maybe he passed away or whatever the case, we need to understand that our everlasting father will never be an absentee dad. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you or abandon you. Never. Anybody know what the Greek word for never literally means? Never. Never, ever, 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 for any reason. He did not abandon you when you made your bed in hell. And he won't do it now. He is here. Jesus is the father you've always craved. And if you don't know him, I want to explain to you some things that are important about him. He forgives us. That we are sinners, we've made a mess of our life. And he shows up in our mess and he died for us in our place. He conquered the grave and death and Satan so that we could put our faith in him and have our life transformed. That's the heart of our father. He adopts us. Those who were not his own, kids who had rejected him and abandoned him and had left to go and find their way some other way, he came to us and rescued us and adopted us and made us his children again. He provides for us. He is not short on supply. He will never be short on supply. He has everything that is needed. He'll never run out, and he wants to give it to us. That is the heart of our Father. He protects us. I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid, I thought my dad was 700 foot tall and a superhero. Anybody else have a dad like that? Like my dad worked in the oil field. And when I was a kid, his arms were just huge. His chest was massive. Admittedly, as years have gone on, that stuff has slid down his body and rests more in the stomach region now. But when I was a kid, I had a, my brother and I are about the same age, and my dad could walk up to both of us and hold his arms out like this, and we would grab hold, and he would lift us up into the air and just stand there. And it was like, 
who is this man? He is amazing and strong and powerful. And we felt protected and safe. That's my earthly father. Can you get your head around what it's like to have the king of the universe do that for you? Your everlasting father. Protection beyond your imagination. Here's how much he is able to protect you. Here's his strength. Is that when you die and this physical body gives out, he still has the strength to take your spirit and heart and have it last for eternity. He can make it an eternal thing. He will protect it in him. It's an amazing thing. Isaiah says to Ahaz the king, trust God. Don't trust in another kingdom or another empire. You have an everlasting father with an indestructible kingdom. Trust him. He protects us. He also praises us. And I got to tell you, there is a longing, there is a craving inside every single one of us that longs for someone to tell us, you did great, I love you, I'm proud of you, and encourage you. As a worship leader for 20 years, and as a pastor in ministry for 28 years, this is one of my favorite verses, Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet he will be quiet in his love, and he will delight in you with what? God, can you get your head around that for a minute? We sing to God. Have you ever thought about the fact that he sings over you? Like the implication here, the way it's written, is that there is a personal song that God has for you. Anybody want to know what your song sounds like? Like that God's got some sort of playlist up in heaven with all of our names on it? I guarantee you mine's got a sick beat. I promise you it does. You got, <laughs> yeah. It comes on you like it's a banger right there. That's legit. Like that Jason song is hidden, man. So like I love that thought. Like the way I've described this to people, we have such a weird understanding of who our heavenly father is, of who our eternal father is, that we think he's this mean guy waiting to pounce. But instead, let's put this in context from an earthly dad for a minute. I'm going to describe a moment that almost every earthly dad has experienced, and most of them do it really, really well. Do you remember the first time that your kid walked? If you're a parent, and you can just imagine that moment, that moment when your kid took their first steps. Now in 2023, here's a little bit of what this looks like. They take their first few steps, and then they face plant. And before you even check on them, you got to go get your phone. Because if this happens again, you need to capture it for Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. And you go call friends and family, and you get them all to gather around. And then you finally go and pick up the kid who's still laying on the ground. You come on, sweetie. I want you to do it again. And you pick them up and you put them on this side of the room. And then everybody else gets over here. And then you film it. Come on. Come on. And they're bad at walking. Like they're real bad at it. It's slow and weird. Like they don't know how the top half of their body is heavier than the bottom half of their body and they don't have any sort of equilibrium. They should do this and they're instead doing this thing and they do a few other steps and then eventually, boom, they fall. And what no dad has ever done in that moment is go, get up. My good, are you lazy? You can't do this? Do you have any idea how simple this is? I can do it. Your mom can do it. For a treat, the dog will do it. Get up! No dad does that. And neither does our everlasting father. See, we take off and we walk in our life on our spiritual journey and we're bad at it. 
and we look uncomfortable. And we've got our eyes on our everlasting Father, but we face plant pretty easily. And the picture we have so often of God is that he's going to look at us and say, get up. What are you thinking? But instead, we have an everlasting Father that runs over to us. He picks us up, and he holds us in his arms, and he wipes off the tears on our cheeks, and he wipes off our knees, and he says, you can do this. I know you can. I made you. I put so much in you, and I am not going anywhere. And he sets us back down on that journey, and he says, come on, and we take these weird, you know, kind of deer doe steps of trying to figure out the world until we take off on that mission, and we so often think, we're doing so good, God, look how we're doing it. He goes, I know, because I have been right here the entire time, every step, walking with you, encouraging you, lifting you up. You are loved with an everlasting love by an everlasting Father. I love that Isaiah adds the word everlasting. He never disappoints. He never will forsake you. He never leaves. He never dies. He is the Father your heart has always craved. He is the Father you have always been searching for. He is the everlasting Father who can forgive your sins and heal your wounds. He is the everlasting Father that will never, ever, 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 ever let you go. Never, 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 ever. And my question for you this morning is, do you know him? There's a reality at Christmas time. There's a lot of people, and if you're one of them, I want you to know we love you and we're glad you're here. Oftentimes in the church world, we call them CEO Christians, and that's because the times they show up at church are Christmas, Easter only. And they show up and they go, man, every time I show up here, you guys are either talking about this kid being born or dying. That's what we do at Christmas and Easter, man. And a lot of times because of that, they have a really weird understanding of who he is. That's why we want to do a different kind of series. Because if you're that person, you're going, well, I need a God who can help me through my sadness and depression and anxiety. And we can go, well, then we can we introduce you to the wonderful counselor. And you understand the, the, the stuff I'm going through, and I don't have the power to persevere. And we go, can we introduce you to mighty God? Listen, no one's ever been there for me, and the people that even gave birth to me abandoned me, and I don't know what to do. I can't make anybody happy, and everybody's against me. I just need somebody to care. We go, can we introduce you to an everlasting father? And if you're here today, and maybe you go, man, I, I, I'm new to this whole church thing, or maybe, to be honest, if we could be real frank, there's an awful lot of people who are real good at church who still have no relationship with Jesus as their everlasting father. And my question is, do you know him? Do you want to know him? You know what he wants for you this Christmas? He wants to give you the greatest Christmas gift you could ever have. He wants to give you freedom from your sin. He wants to give you a life and a purpose you have up until this point simply imagined or chased but never got a hold of. 
And he wants to walk with you every step of the way. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. He is your everlasting father. And I would just tell you, if that's you, after the service and during the last song, we'll have prayer team members in our corners of the room over here. I'll be out in the welcome area, so will many of our staff. We're glad to talk. If you're a person that goes, man, I'm, I'm just, I've, I've got to hurry, or, or man, I'm just anxious to talk to somebody about something right now, uh, get the Connect card. It's digital. It's also in your handout. And just check something on there. Say, man, I want to know what it means. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. We will contact you this week. Somebody will talk to you one-on-one because we would love to help God deliver the gift of salvation to your life this week for you to know what it means to have an everlasting father.